I'll be reading from Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and said, the, and said to them, Glory of the Lord shone around them. The, Lord, the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring, you, bring to you good tidings of great joy, um, which will be to you all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Savior who is Christ the Lord, and, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And, setting the, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising the God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to, toward men. Good morning. It is certainly good to be with you all this morning. It is uh, kind of a cool moment. My son had... Uh, offered to read the scripture reading uh, earlier this week when Eric was supposed to be preaching, but instead he got to give his first scripture reading before his dad preached. So that's a pretty neat moment for me. Uh, as you uh, all know, as uh, Randy said, I got the uh, T-Mobile call up from the bullpen this morning, uh, bright and early. And so, uh, sorry if you were expecting Eric, uh, but hopefully this morning uh, this uh, the Word of God will be a blessing to you. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to begin there this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then down in verse 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The prophet Isaiah knew all too well that his people were in deep trouble. They were in deep trouble for their sins. Darkness was all around, yet God in great mercy promised to shine in a new and brighter way. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I bet you didn't know that the term rise and shine came from the Bible. But it did, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Anyway, 
uh, throughout the course of Scripture, from the Old Testament prophecies to the New Testament fulfillment and the continued teaching, Jesus is referred to as a light shining in darkness. One that John records in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, that the darkness could not even comprehend this light. Light that illuminates the way to the Father. And while this light is present, people need to be led to it in order for them to be led by it. Isn't that true about light in darkness? Is that not the perfect metaphor by, uh, that God has provided to us? If your power goes out and it's the middle of the night and you have no light in the room, no moon to light your way, you're going to be stumbling and bumbling through that room stepping on every Lego, banging your shin on every bedpost, stubbing every toe that you can until you find that flashlight. That happened to me last night, actually. And I thought, well, this is a perfect metaphor for this. But until you find that light, you cannot be safely led through the darkness. This is the case throughout the life of Jesus and continues to this day. From the day of his birth, people were told of the light of salvation and how to find it. The Bible today lights our path. It shines the light of salvation for those who seek the truth from its pages. It guides us on the way to an abundant life that is available and offered in Christ alone. So let us turn to Scripture this morning and see how the light was produced, prepared, and proclaimed to shine in the darkness and what that means for us today. So if you're taking notes, there's your three points, perfectly alliterated as all good preachers are supposed to do, three Ps, produced, proclaimed, no, produced, prepared, and proclaimed. The first point is the light produced. As we read earlier in Isaiah, the light for the world was needed, and God saw that great need and provided it in the form of his only son. This light, however, did not arrive in any spectacle for all the world to witness and be drawn to. This light was not like a bug zapper on your porch in summer in which all the bugs are drawn to it all at once. No, this light was much different. As the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in the field, it, said, uh, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. And this wording indicates a great light. It was so great it caused the shepherds to be filled with fear. So was this the light in the darkness that was promised? No. This was the invitation to be led to and by the light. See, the angel proclaims the words of Isaiah 9, verse 6, saying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice the angel didn't say, unto Mary a son is born. Unto you, you shepherds sitting in the field, unto you a child is born, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Contrary to many false doctrines out there, Mary held great favor in God's eyes. But her status as the mother of Jesus held no special privileges or honor to be worshiped. The Savior was for the whole world. The Savior was born for them. The Savior was born for us. The direction of the angel was not a command of God. The angel says, you will find. This will be a sign. There is choice given to the shepherds. They needed to make the conscious decision to seek out the Savior which in verse 15 and following, we see they do just that. Look back in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. You notice that the shepherds didn't wait. They went immediately. They hurried into the city to find the Savior that they had been told about. What a wonderful gift that must have been. This thing that had happened, made known to them by God, was the birth of a child. This child was not laying in a gilded golden crib, not attended to by hosts of nurses and servants. No trumpets or heralds announced his birth in the streets. An angel of the Lord appeared to some shepherds in the field. Yeah, there was some fanfare to that, sure. But only a small group got to experience that. Why didn't the religious leaders get that? Why didn't the king get this announcement? Well, there are no coincidences with God. The fact that the good shepherd is first introduced to a group of real shepherds should not be missed. How about another group of people that has talked about this time of year? The wise men. Turn over to Matthew chapter 2. And we see pretty quickly, really, why Jesus wasn't proclaimed to the king and religious leaders of the day, don't we? Starting in verse 1 here of Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. We see again a similar miraculous intervention in the lives of seemingly ordinary men. This time, Gentiles from the east, most likely from Persia or modern-day Iran. This means the wise men traveled about 800 to 900 miles to see the Christ child. This is an extremely long and treacherous journey. Most likely, these magi knew of the writings of the prophet Daniel, who in time past had been the chief of the court seers in Persia. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, he writes of a prophecy which gives a timeline for the birth of the Messiah. Also, the Magi may have been aware of the prophecy of Balaam, who was from the town of Pethor on the Euphrates River near Persia in Numbers 24, verse 17. Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. Whatever their background... They had been watching the skies, which was common amongst pagan religions. They relied heavily on the stars for many things, and while doing so, they saw something astronomically out of place. At this point, they had the choice to document this anomaly in the Eastern Journal of Astronomy of the First Century, version 1, or go check it out. They knew that there was something Amiss. They knew that there was something related to this anomaly. They made the conscious decision to follow this light and make a great sacrifice to do so, to find the source and to, as they say, worship him. Let's continue in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. 
For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so I too may come and worship him. You don't have to keep reading to know. He's not telling the truth here. But we'll keep reading anyways. Verse 9, After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The wise men. How many were there? We don't know. What we do know is there were more than one, and they were wise men, and they weren't kings. Likely, they held high positions within a kingdom somewhere, but they were not three kings of Orient are. <laughs> I digress. These wise men sought the light. They found the light, and they worshiped the light when they found it. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So the light had come into the world to lead those willing to seek him, to lead them out of darkness and into the light. But again... People had to be led to the light in order to be led by the light. That first witness of the light was John, the cousin of Jesus. And so we turn to our second point. The light is prepared. As Jesus grew and matured, his ministry to the people of Israel needed an introduction. We saw the first time that the people heard about a Messiah being born, the first inclination was, we need to kill him. Well, that was Herod's inclination, but it also said that all Jerusalem was troubled by the announcement of these magi that had come. He needed an introduction. The light that he would shine for them, pointing to the establishment of a new covenant, needed to be prepared and set forth by God. In Malachi, Malachi, a great prophet, gave God's final promises of the Old Testament. And one of the greatest is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says, "'Behold, I send to you a messenger.'" And he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God promised that he would send a messenger, and this messenger would have a special purpose to prepare the way. Prepare the way for what, or for whom, rather? Well, he's going to prepare the way before me, says the Lord, that is Yahweh. In the next chapter, Malachi provides more detail. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Elijah was a prophet that lived many years before Malachi, a man who lived in dry desert places and wore rough clothing, spoke with boldness against the sins of kings. But Elijah didn't die, according to Scripture. Rather, he was lifted up into heaven with chariots of fire and a whirlwind, with his protege, Elisha, taking up his mantle. The promise of the return of Elijah was a comfort 
as Elijah was a strong prophet who strove to restore God and his rightful place in Israel after Ahab and his wife Jezebel brought the false god Baal into town. Malachi prophesied about it. Isaiah prophesied about it. Isaiah, an earlier prophet, perhaps you've heard of him. We've already read from his prophecies this morning, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, he prophesies of one coming in the desert. For over, four, for over 100 years, from Moses to Malachi, God spoke to his people often. He sent many prophets to Israel and even neighboring nations. Their work resulted in the books that we have that make up the Old Testament. But after Malachi, there were about 400 years of silence. Nothing. No true prophets spoke from God. There were no new writers of the Old Testament. God's people wondered when God would fulfill his promises. They were looking. They were looking for this Messiah that had been promised. After all, that was the last thing they really heard from God. When would God's preparing messenger come? When would God show his glory? During those long years, many people heard about God's promises, not just in Jerusalem, but because new rulers came in and took the land of Israel, some Israelites by then called Jews, they stayed there, but others were taken far away. They were dispersed throughout the known world. In far countries, they told others of the one true God. Even some non-Jews came to believe in God's promises. More and more people looked forward to the Lord's coming. Perhaps this is where the wise men from the east obtained their knowledge pertaining to that star they saw. But God promised a new Elijah. And that new Elijah comes and God speaks again. After all those years of silence, amazing, miraculous things started happening again. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. A child named John was born to an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even though Elizabeth was much too old to have children, an angel spoke to Zechariah, a priest at the temple. Listen to this in verse 8 of chapter 1. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children." and the disobedient to the, attitude, uh, to the attitude of the righteous, so, that, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel used the words from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6 that we just mentioned earlier. Later, down in verse 76, Zechariah then quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. By God's Spirit, Zechariah prophesied, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways." Some 400 years after God made his promises through Malachi, they were coming true. 
God was ending his silence, and just as he promised, he was going to speak through another Elijah. So let's talk about John the baptizer. Although Elijah did not physically die, some were expecting the Elijah of the Old Testament to be the one preparing the way, taking the Lord's promises quite literally. But John was not the Elijah of the Old Testament. And we can be sure of that because Elijah is present at the, Mount, uh, the mountain of transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. John himself proclaims this in John chapter 1 verse 21 when he says point blank that he is not Elijah. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, he says in verse 23 of John 1. He was, however, a lot like that prophet. Those who knew the Old Testament could see John not only as the true prophet, but as the new Elijah. Jesus declares John as being a prophet and the one promised in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 and following. Jesus solidifies John's prophetness. Like Elijah, John spent much time in the desert or wilderness. Like Elijah, John dressed in rough clothing. Like Elijah, he preached uh, full of courage. He had the spirit and power of Elijah, as the angel declared in Luke 1, 17. He also spoke out against all sin, even the sin of the king, as Elijah did with Ahab. John spoke out often and boldly against Herod's sinful relationship with Herodias, his brother's wife. Now remember, John com uh, commanded the Jews to prepare for the Lord's coming as he quoted Isaiah in John chapter 1, verse 23, saying, He was the one promised, crying out in the wilderness to make straight the way of the Lord. How could they make the way straight? How could they prepare for the king? Baptism. John told them to prepare by repenting and being baptized. Repent, meaning, of course, turn away from sin. Turn toward God instead. John uh, preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's close enough for you to touch it. As we talked about in our Bible class this morning in the auditorium, that kingdom came when the church was established. By repenting, the people promised to do right in the future. There had to be full preparation for the pure and holy king. Even past sins had to be removed by forgiveness. Mark chapter 1, verse 4 tells us that John's baptism did in a temporary offering to those in the Judean region and Jerusalem. It was not the baptism of Jesus we partake in today, as John's baptism was made null and void at the establishment of the new covenant at the cross. Turn over to Luke chapter 7. See, the baptism of John, no shock, divided the people. Division was common amongst the Israelites and was common amongst the early church as well, which is why Paul had to write to so many of them so often to stop it. Baptism by John divided the people. Those who wanted to prepare for the Messiah, uh, they confessed their sins and they were baptized. But others, especially the religious elite, were too proud. They would say... They would not say, rather, how sinful their ways were. Baptism was simple obedience to God's command. It meant trusting God for forgiveness. Their hard hearts had no room for obedient trust. They thought they knew best. Look at verse 29 of Luke chapter 7. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees... And the lawyers, or the scribes, rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The leaders should have listened to John. Jesus said that John was a prophet, and even went a step further, proclaiming 
that he was even more than a prophet in Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. Yet as great as John John was, the coming one, a.k.a. the Messiah, would be much greater. John himself said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John prepared the way by pointing people to the coming light. But folks still needed to make the conscious decision to seek the light. And when that light came, it was an ordinary man. There was nothing special about his outward appearance that drew people to him. It was what he did and what he taught and how he lived that set forth the light that we are to follow today. And that brings us to our final point, the light proclaimed. Jesus is the light. Since Jesus came teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, he was often referred to as rabbi or teacher. There were, of course, many others who claimed to be teachers, but Jesus needed to set the record straight on where the source of light, or rather where the source of truth, needed to be, needed to be sourced from. To other religious leaders, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 8, as he proclaimed the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And then down in verse 10, he says, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. He said the same thing in other ways. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. John chapter 12, verse 50, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Others who are claiming to be the light make empty claims. But when Jesus made this claim, people had to pay attention. In Mark chapter 1, verse 22, we read that they were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were the ones who copied the scriptures down day after day. They had memorized them by this point. They knew them in and out. But Jesus spoke with a greater authority as the one who aided in providing these words that the scribes were copying. Jesus' teachings were more than just words. He always lived his great truths. Light is seen, not just heard. Come and see. John prepared the way. The light is coming. Prepare yourselves. Many of John's followers became the first of Jesus' apostles. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35 specifically. But these followers of John, they took John's example. They followed his teaching and they chose to follow the light once they found it. And then they started to do exactly what had been done several times before. Look at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Say no more, John. Verse 38, And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came. And they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The disciples proclaimed the presence of the light, much like the angel of the Lord in the field to the shepherds. Much like the light in the sky for the wise men, much like John and the prophets before him pointed to Jesus, so now Andrew tells his brother about the light, this Messiah that he has found. Now Simon Peter could have just ignored his brother, but he trusted him and he sought out the Savior. Philip does the same thing. Likely being a disciple of John as well, that is, hearing and following John's teaching, he was from the same area as Andrew and Peter after all. And Philip goes to find Nathanael. Look at verse 45 of John chapter 1. Philip finds Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Philip invites Nathanael, but Nathanael has to make the choice to seek the Savior as well, which he does, though there is some doubt within Nathanael. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> you will see greater things than that. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The light has been proclaimed to man. But doubt and question still swirl in their heads because Jesus wasn't what they expected in terms of the promised Messiah. So God reinforces the strength and power of this light to overcome darkness. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. And if you know what's there, you know what's coming. The transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, we read this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Though Jesus was still a man, Jesus shone with glory far, far beyond anything human. Even his clothing becomes dazzling, Luke's account records in Luke chapter 9. Have you ever been in a dark room at night and witnessed a lightning flash that completely fills the room and blinds you with light? Have you ever looked into the sun and looked away and continued seeing the sun? Have you ever preached from this pulpit and had the lights shining in your eyes and they will be there for the rest of the day? <laughs> this is the best way I know how to explain how glorious Jesus shone completely blinded, completely in awe. This is what Peter meant when he testified in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, of being an eyewitness of the glory and majesty of Jesus. 
God had already shown Jesus to be the spiritual and moral light of the world, and then God adds this visible proof of Jesus' own heavenly light, the light that he left to come into the darkness. Then God gave his proof from heaven. He sent Moses, the prophet who provided the law, and he sent Elijah, the great prophet that we covered earlier, to appear in glory alongside Jesus. Peter wanted to honor all three of them, but God only honored Jesus. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Peter was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That command of God applies to us as well. After all, Jesus' great commission to his disciples including, included teaching all that Jesus commanded. To wrap this all up, God promised to send his light into the world. God fulfilled that promise, making sure that all could find that light. He lived and he taught pure truth. He proved his power to overcome dark forces. He shone in heavenly glory and beauty. If we wish to walk safely by God's light, then we must listen to Jesus. Jesus keeps his promises to each of us. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. God began his creation saying, let there be light, and then promised to send his light into the world. He kept that promise, and he has brightened our world and brightened our, height, har, brightened our hearts because of Christ. May we never hide from that light, but instead allow it to shine on us as we reflect that light in the world and drive away our darkness. Unto you a child is born, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The light has come into the world, and we have the eyewitness testimonies in our hands today through the inspiration of the Spirit. Jesus says that his followers would be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven, and as John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from this fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There's a song that we sang a few weeks ago when I led singing, and I didn't know that nobody knew it, but we knew it now, and we sang it in the stairwell last week. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. If you're here this morning, and you have not made the conscious decision to seek the light of the world, to heed the teachings of the Savior, Jesus Christ, Messiah and King, Jesus commands those who believe must be baptized, that is, immersed in water, buried with him, taking away the record of sin and uniting the penitent believer with Christ in the powerful work of God and not of man. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 tells us. 
raised out of the water to walk in a newness of life, to walk in the light, to become a light of the world ourselves, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, to shine, to shine brightly the light of Christ, telling all that we can that we have a Savior, we have found the light, come and see. If you wish to be united in Christ this morning through the repentance of your sins and putting on Christ in baptism, or if, you're already, if you've already obeyed His commands but have fallen back into darkness, come this morning and restore yourself to His way. The light is available to all who seek it. If we can assist you with that, or if you have any other need, won't you come now while we stand and as we sing.